Exodus 4. We'll be reading verses 18 through 31. So Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 through 31. Fire fades and the grass withers, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Exodus 4, beginning in verse 18. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. And if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he left him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he commanded him to do. And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, did, all the, the, did the signs in the sight of the people. The people believed. When they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, they had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads, and they worshipped. Since the reading of the Lord's word, let's pray and ask him uh, to illuminate for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you again that we get to come before you uh, and be fed from it. We pray that you would, uh, you would feed us, that you would fill us, Lord, with who you are, with your word, and with the gospel. Father, thank you that you are good and that you have given it to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so there's a question that pervades the book of Exodus up until the actual Exodus, uh, but it's not a question that's outwardly asked, uh, and it doesn't get answered yet until this, uh, this passage. And this question is, what will it take to set Israel free? Uh, the question is, springs to mind as soon as you start to read the book of Exodus, you read about how Israel is enslaved uh, to Pharaoh under one of the most powerful nations on earth. We read about how uh, Pharaoh commits genocide against Israel, commands all the male children of the Hebrews to be cast into the river, uh, the Nile, to be killed. Uh, we read how Moses goes and meets God, uh, even though he had been exiled from Egypt, he had fled because he killed uh, an Egyptian. He meets God. God gives him a command, a commission, says, go and set my people free. Uh, here's some signs. And yet, the Lord says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And so we're asking the question, well, what will it take then for Israel to be set free? We know Pharaoh's heart will be hardened and that he won't let Israel go without a fight. So how far does God need to go? Right? What will God need to do? What is God willing to do to set his people free? 
So we don't yet know what God is going to do to set Israel free or what it will take to break Pharaoh's hardened heart. But in this passage this morning, we get uh, one answer. In this passage, God shows that it will take the blood of a firstborn to set Israel free. It will take the blood of a firstborn to set Israel free. So just to recap where we are in Exodus, uh, Moses just spent the previous part of this chapter uh, arguing with God, putting up objection after objection to God, saying, I don't want to go to, to Egypt. I'm, I don't talk really good. You should send someone else. And God says, that's too bad. You're going to go anyways. Um, I don't worry. I'll be with you. Uh, and over the, the course of the chapter, the Lord teaches Moses that Moses is real fear. He's, he's afraid of dying. He's afraid of, of going on a suicide mission. And the Lord says, don't be afraid of death. I am the God of death and resurrection. So the next few verses, however, that we come to in our passage, don't fill us with a lot of confidence that Moses gets it. Right? God gives Moses these signs. He said, don't worry, I'm the God of, of life and death. You can go with faith and confidence. But what happens is Moses then leaves his meeting with God in verse 18, goes back to his father-in-law and says, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Now, on the one hand, Moses is going, which is good, because right? he just spent a lot of time arguing with God about why he shouldn't go. So the fact that he is going is good. But at the same time, if he's obeying the call of God and doing it with the right heart, why does he lie to Jethro? Why doesn't Moses say to Jethro, the Lord has met me and commanded me to go to Egypt. But he doesn't say that. Instead, Moses says, uh, I'm, I need to go back to see if my brothers are still alive. And you kind of get the sense that in Moses' heart, he's, he's lying because he doesn't really want to admit that he has to go to Egypt because God told him to. It's, it's almost like he's saying to God, fine, I'll go. Fine. But I'm not, I don't have to be happy about going. I don't have to be happy about doing this. So he takes his family and sets off for Egypt. Uh, but before they arrive, the Lord has one more thing to teach Moses. Uh, another word from the Lord, and it begins in verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, I will kill your firstborn son. This verse is, is the answer to the question. What will it take to set Israel free? It will take the death of Pharaoh's firstborn son. Why? Because Israel is God's firstborn son. You may have heard of uh, eye for an eye. Here it's firstborn for a firstborn. But maybe you're asking yourself, how can God, on the one hand, harden Pharaoh's heart and then turn around and punish Pharaoh for hardening his heart? Right? Isn't that unfair? Uh, but think about it like this. God isn't going to make Pharaoh sin. Instead, he's going to use the sin that is already there. Pharaoh doesn't want to let Israel go. He's not going to let Israel go Already, But God is going to use that. He's going to use Pharaoh's sin to show uh, who he is, who God is. He's going to use Pharaoh's sin to exalt himself, to glorify himself, to show his power, his glory, his authority. 
Um, Israel is God's firstborn son. They belong to him, and the Lord wants Israel to know and Pharaoh to know that God is jealous for what belongs to him, that God will fight for what belongs to him, that God will take and do whatever is necessary to save those who belong to him. And so the Lord says, let them go that they may serve me. In order for that to happen, the only way forward will be the path of blood. The only way forward for Israel to be set free is that Pharaoh's firstborn was going to have to die so that God's firstborn may live. But then we get to verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. So if you were to go on Google uh, and Google the weirdest passages in the Bible, this would be hypothetically uh, number five on that list. Uh, this is a weird passage. It's strange. It's out of place. Um, almost, right? You are reading through this story, and Moses gets commissioned. Moses is going. God gives one last instruction to Moses, and then God tries to kill Moses. And you're like, wait, now wait a second. What is going on here? Why, why does the Lord suddenly decide to kill Moses? Why does he meet him in order to put him to death? Why, why commission him in the first place if this was the plan all along? Um, and it just gets weirder. Right, verse 25, then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it, said, surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Uh, so he, that's the Lord, left him alone. It was then that she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Um, right, this is a strange passage. And we're tempted to do two things. We're tempted to, to skip it. And right? say, well, this is weird. I don't know what it's about. So I'm just going <laughs> to go to the next section that looks nice. Um, or you're tempted to doubt it be like, okay, maybe God isn't as good as I thought he was. Don't do either of those things. Uh, The key to understanding this passage is what God just told Moses in the preceding verses. God just told Moses that it will take the death of Pharaoh's firstborn to set Israel free. And then what happens is that God comes to kill Moses and only the circumcision of Moses' firstborn saves him. What happens is it's firstborn for firstborn. You withhold from God. This is what it takes. This is what God will do. This is what it will take for salvation for God's people. And the Lord says, Moses, I'm coming to get you. And only the circumcision of his firstborn delivers him from death. Well, let's let's unpack it just a little bit more. So the fact that Moses' son has to be circumcised means that he wasn't circumcised already. He wasn't yet circumcised. Um, and that's a problem. Because back in Genesis 17, God commanded Abraham that every male born in his lineage must be circumcised, and any that weren't were considered covenant breakers. They were cut off from God's people. Uh, so in failing to circumcise his son, Moses had broken the covenant. Moses had withheld from God what belonged to God. But it even gets worse. God just told Moses that he had claimed Israel as his firstborn and told Moses what the consequence was right, for refusing to give to God what belongs to God, a firstborn for a firstborn. So Gershom, Moses' firstborn, belonged to God by covenant, Moses withheld from God what rightfully belongs to him, 
And so Moses was in danger of God's wrath. But Gershom's blood set him free. Again, we ask, why? What's, why does the Lord do this? Well, first notice that the Lord only seeks to kill Moses. Right, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. If God wanted Moses dead, he would be dead. Which means that God was doing something else here. He's not just, he's not trying to kill Moses, he's trying to do something different. Something is happening here. God provides, in other words, a window of opportunity. That God's wrath is coming. It's at the door, and God opens a window. It's not yet here. There's a chance for salvation. And again, this is the same lesson that, Moses, that God just taught Moses. God gives Pharaoh the same window of opportunity. Right? God comes to Pharaoh and says, let my son go. And if you don't, here's what will happen. There's a window of opportunity. God's wrath is at the door, but you can escape. Here's how. Let my son go. God comes to kill Moses. He's at the door, and the Lord says, here's your window of opportunity. But he, Moses doesn't take it. Someone else steps in on Moses' behalf. Zipporah, his wife. Zipporah, the daughter of a priest. She understands what's happening. She knows what needs to be done. She understands that Moses' failure was that he did not circumcise his son. So Zipporah does it herself. She circumcises her own son, and not in a nice, clean, surgical way. She grabs a sharp rock um, and circumcises Gershom and touches the blood to Moses' feet, and that saves Moses. Now, in order to understand... <laughs> A little bit more what's happening here let's understand circumcision a little bit more circumcision meant several things part of circumcision was it meant that you were a member of god's family it marked you out physically that you were a member of god's family but it was also a symbol of sacrifice because it was bloody it was a symbol of, of being cut off of being killed of sacrifice and death and blood and so when you Give your children circumcision. What you're saying is, I am sacrificing my child to the Lord. In a sense, it's, it's bloody because it represents death. It's giving up your child to God. So when Zipporah circumcises Gershom, it's as though she has sacrificed her own son to save Moses' life. And that's why she calls Moses a bridegroom of blood. This is the same pattern that the Lord just taught Moses in verse 23. The death of Pharaoh's firstborn meant the salvation of God's people. That's the pattern with Israel and Pharaoh. And that's the pattern with Moses. The death of his own firstborn son sets him free from God's wrath. And that's actually the pattern for us too, isn't it? I said that an unanswered question is in Exodus up to this point is, what will it take to set Israel free? And this passage shows us, right, it has to be the death of a firstborn. But that's only part of the answer. Uh, it takes the blood of a firstborn to set God's people free, but what's missing? Whose? 
whose firstborn must die? For Pharaoh and for Israel and Egypt, it was Pharaoh's firstborn. For Moses, it was his own firstborn. For you and me, it's God's firstborn. We are saved by the death of a firstborn, by God's firstborn. Because in, at the cross, God circumcises his own son. God circumcises Jesus. He cuts him off. He sacrifices his own son and kills him so that the blood of the firstborn can set you and me free from our sins. That's what it takes. That's the pattern. Uh, because for us, wrath was at the door. God's wrath is at the door, but God provided a window a window of opportunity to repent and be saved. And that window is faith. It's to believe in Jesus Christ. Because at the last second, someone stepped in, in our place, and offered his own blood on your behalf. Because on the cross, Jesus offered his own blood to set you free from your sin and from death. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have faith even if it's just a little bit, that he is the son of God who died and rose again, you are saved. And God's wrath is turned away. He's not at the door anymore. But instead, you are now God's firstborn. You are now God's child, God's son, God's daughter. Uh, and that is what the Lord has done for us. Jesus Christ has stepped in for us and offered his blood, the blood of a firstborn, so that we can be set free. Uh, let's pray and give thanks to God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have set us free from sin and death uh, by the blood of your Son. Lord, we thank you that he took uh, the wrath that we deserved. Lord, we thank you that you made the ultimate sacrifice to give up your only Son, your only begotten Son, so that we could become sons and daughters, even though we are not worth it. We have nothing to offer you, Lord. But we thank you, and we ask that you would be with us the rest of our day. In Jesus' name we pray.